0: So I think that everybody in the world is asking a few of the same questions, no matter where you are, what country you're in, what your demographic is, what your economic um, situation is. I think there's some questions that every human being is asking. What do you think some of those are? Why am I here? Why am I here? Yes, I think that's one of the questions that everyone's asking. What else? Am I loved? Yeah, absolutely. I think that everybody's looking for love, wants to be loved, wants to know, like, is what I'm experiencing really love? What else do you think is a question? Why do bad things happen? Yes, yes. That's a question that lots of people ask. Like, why is there evil? Why do bad things happen? Why did something bad happen to me? Or why did something bad happen to somebody that I think is a really great person? World should not work like that. What other questions? Where's my answer to my prayer? Like everybody either has has a hope or a prayer or a dream. Even if they don't believe in God, they're like, why didn't this thing happen? I put in all the work and it didn't happen. Any other questions you think? Okay. I think that's a good list. Um, A couple of the questions that I think everybody's asking is, where did I come from? Why am I here? Like Darby said. And where am I going? I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but these are questions that i found that everybody kind of asks in their life at some point or the other. And I think all of these are spiritual questions. So whether or not people consider themselves religious or spiritual, they're asking spiritual questions. You are asking spiritual questions, which means you're on a spiritual journey. You may not think of yourself as a spiritual person or being on a spiritual journey, but if you're asking spiritual questions, you're on a spiritual journey. If you're just watching this, you have no religious connections, but you're like, I've been asking these questions, guess what? You're a spiritual pilgrim on a spiritual journey. And hopefully this message today helps give you some answers and guide you along the way. Now, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of the Christian faith because it gives me a cohesive worldview to not only answer these questions, but to make sense out of my world. I don't know about you, but there's many times where something happens in my life, or something happens in the news, or in the world, and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. How can there be both this and this? How can there be both such beauty in the world and such ugly depravity and sick, depraved um, evil in the world? Like. The air is very ominous as it comes on. How can there be these two opposing, such opposing different paradigms in the same world? And one of the reasons that I'm a disciple, a student of the way that Jesus lived and loved, is because his life gives me a worldview to make sense out of not only what I'm experiencing, but what's happening all around me. To make sense of the contradictions in our world and in our lives. Take, for instance, 9-11. It was a time of horrific human evil. You see people who are committing suicide to not only murder the people on the plane, but to murder thousands of people in a building. But at the exact same time, you have heroic first responders who are sacrificing their lives, laying down their lives to save even one other human life. And so in this one moment, you have both the nobility of humanity and the depravity of humanity, both on display in one minute. And one of the reasons I'm a Christian is because it gives me a worldview, a way to make sense of these things. It says, yes, humanity is capable of great nobility and beauty because we're made in the image of God. But we're also capable of great depravity and evil because we often choose our ways over God's ways. We choose our wisdom, what we think is right, over what God thinks is right. A worldview is a lens through which we can see the world and make sense of the world and guess what, everybody has one. Whether you're religious or not, whether you were born in this country or a different country, every human being develops a lens through which they make sense of the world. Everybody has a way that they make sense of what they're seeing and experiencing, what they're hearing. We construct stories out of the chaos in our lives and in our community and in our world, and that is the worldview that builds that story. The right lens can make a distorted picture clear. Now, has anyone ever gone to a 3D movie and you didn't wear the 3D glasses? I remember I went to a 3D movie with some friends and um, wearing the, now they have glasses that have frames like sunglasses, you know? Wearing those over your glasses you're already wearing is very annoying. And so I kept taking them off and the screen just all garbled. So you have to wear them in order to see things clearly. 3D glasses make what seem like make a distorted, blurry image into something that's clear. And I think I put 3D glasses on everybody's chair. And it doesn't work quite as well on this projector as it does up close when it's small. But when you put on 3D glasses, all of a sudden what's distorted can become clear. It can really pop out. You can make out the details. And things that seemed just like a mess can all of a sudden seem like they're reaching out to touch you. Everyone builds a worldview out of something. And a worldview, I think the Christian worldview, makes things that are blurry or distorted or unclear into something that's clear and makes sense. And so it's not the only reason that I'm a Christian, but one of the reasons I'm a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is because when I start acting like Jesus, it gives me a way of looking at the world that begins to make the chaos and the confusion, the contradictions, it begins to make them seem clear and make sense. Now, I think that most people in America today are operating out of a political worldview. Political parties give them the framework to make sense of their world. And uh, for a long time now, for over 50 years, statistics have been telling us that people in America are becoming less religious. They're attending church less. They're showing less allegiance to denominations or networks or the faith of their families. More and more people are saying, I'm a nun, when they check their religious affiliation. They say, none. I have no religious affiliation. But I would argue that America is not becoming less religious. We're simply becoming more politically religious. The contentiousness around politics has become the new religion of America. And this new religion has savior figures, and it has priests and holy rites and gatherings. And as a result, some people see Christianity through the lens of their political party instead of seeing their political party through the lens of their Christianity. When you see being a Christian through the worldview of being a Republican or a Democrat, it gives you a distorted view of Christianity. Christianity is intended to be the lens through which we make sense of our world, through which we make sense of our politics, through which we make sense of the smallest, most disappointing moment of our life. So I wanna talk today about this worldview, this lens of using Christianity to see the world and why I think it's compelling reason to become a follower of Jesus because it helps us make sense out of all these contradictions in our lives. And we're going to look in Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 through 20 this morning. Colossians 1 starting in verse 13 says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible things and the invisible things, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and have been created for him. He is before all things and by him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through the blood shed on the cross according to the Christian faith Earth is a cosmic battleground in the middle of a war between good and evil, between the kingdom of heaven and the dominion of darkness. We see this right here in verse 13. He says, hey, you guys were in the domain of darkness, the dominion of darkness. You belong to this dark empire, and you've been rescued from that and brought into the kingdom of God. And so one of the reasons that I'm a Christian, a disciple, a student of the ways of Jesus is because it changes the way that I look at the world. No longer am I like, man, this is this happening and this is happening? There's good happening and there's bad happening? What's going on? All of a sudden, I look at the world differently. I look at my life differently and I say, there is an unseen war happening and I see some of the casualties and the results of that war, but I'm not privy to everything that's happening. The Christian faith says there is an invisible, diabolical enemy who hates humanity and wants to rob them of joy and see them destroy themselves. He's called the Satan in the Bible. Sometimes we use that word Satan like it's a name. It's not. It's a title. It means the accuser. There is evil in this world because we choose our ways instead of the ways of Jesus. But there is also evil in this world because there is a sinister mastermind at work to unravel humanity. There is evil, right? There are times when we were driving to church this morning and uh, I was backing out of our street and somebody was coming along the street and I can't see because of the way the bushes are there. And so he beeped to let me know he was back there and then drove around. And I said, he should have stopped and let me out. How dare he just beep? And I, I ranted for a few minutes about how bad this driver was. He was from New Jersey, you know, New Jersey drivers, right? Uh, Darby goes, you know, he, he beeped. He did something nice he didn't hit you you know like why are you getting so upset so i responded poorly that's evil that's not a good thing right That's not a great way to start your day when you're coming to talk about jesus and worship jesus but then there's a whole different level of evil where there are concentration camps in germany where people by the thousands and tens of thousands were executed there are suicide bombers that walk into a market full of families and blow themselves up and the people there. There's evil in the world, and then there's a level of evil that only makes sense if there's an invisible enemy who hates humanity and is working to make us destroy ourselves. Once you begin to see the world through this Christian lens, the earth being a battlefield, seeing your life as a battlefield, between the kingdom of god and the dominion of darkness a lot of things that didn't make sense start to make sense a lot of the things where you say man what is going on this world is chaos and makes no sense you say oh it's a battlefield battlefields are chaotic there's good at play here and there's evil at play here the evil and injustice injustice and even the disappointments begin to make sense there's a story in the old testament about daniel Daniel was a Jewish young man, and the whole nation of Israel was captured by Babylon. And they went around and they said, who's good looking? We're going to take them back to Babylon with us. Who's smart? We're going to take them back to Babylon with us. We don't want your ugly people. We don't want your dumb people. We want your good looking, smart people. And so they took this young man and some of his friends uh, back to Babylon, and they began to teach them the ways of the Babylonian empire, but they remained faithful to Yahweh, the one true God. And so Daniel is uh, serving in the Babylonian court and he's been praying back for his nation, Israel, and for Jerusalem. And in the midst of all this praying, there's a story in Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. This angel comes to Daniel and he says, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. But then Michael, one of my chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. And we could get sidetracked trying to read a whole bunch into this about like, man, what does this mean about angels and demons and about the spiritual war all around us? We don't know. But we know this. This angel comes to Daniel and says, God heard you as soon as you prayed. He acted, as soon as you prayed, he sent me. But he says, I've been in the spiritual battle against evil, demonic, dark forces, and so I've been delayed getting there. So he's like, I'm sorry. God sent me at once because he heard you immediately, but there's been a war going on. So I'm sorry that there was a slight delay between me getting there. I think sometimes God immediately acts to answer our humble prayer, but the delivery, delivery is delayed because we live on a war-torn planet. I complain. Uh, I ordered something from Amazon and it was like, it's gonna get there in one day. And uh, I came home late last night and uh, I was like, my package isn't on my door. They said one day, you know? I was like, how dare you, Amazon? And they sent me a message and they say, your package has been delayed. It's gonna get there tomorrow. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. COVID, there's things going on. They don't always have to get it here in 24 hours if we lived in a war-torn country think about if we lived in syria or something where there's just been wars for years and years and years and chaos and we were like oh man my letter didn't get here in 24 hours how dare it you know you'd be like oh there's a war going on the postage is going to be delayed a little bit sometimes when we pray There's a delay, not because God hasn't heard us or that he doesn't care. It's because all around our prayer is a spiritual war and fighting has delayed the result. We often blame God instead of considering the fight that spiritual forces are waging in order to carry out his command to meet our request. Many times I blame God when my blessing is out for delivery. See, when I pray, i'm engaging in cosmic war i'm sending coded messages across enemy lines i am moving spiritual forces on an invisible war map this lens not only changes the way i think about prayer it changes the way i think about the smallest thing that i do in my life the smallest thing i say the smallest thing i think the smallest action i take Jeff Christofferson was a church planter in Canada. And uh, I really like him. I took some of his classes on church planting. And he's written a couple books. And a really cool guy to sit down with. And um, he has this great quote. He, He opened one of the trainings I was in like this. He says, Everything we do either builds the dominion of darkness or it builds the kingdom of God. How are you spending your days? And I was like, Dang, I could walk away right now and be challenge the rest of my life, right? Everything we do either builds the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. Everything you think and say and do has a spiritual effect. Are we contributing to the dominion of darkness or are we contributing to the kingdom of God? If everything is spiritual, then everything matters. A Christian worldview makes your most mundane moments matter. C.S. Lewis, the atheist who turned Christian, said, A man who is eating or lying with his wife or preparing to go to sleep in humility, thankfulness, and temperance is by Christian standards in an infinitely higher state than one who is listening to Bach or reading Plato in a state of pride. Essentially what C.S. Lewis is saying is, the Christian who is simply going about their life with thankfulness and humility and patience is actually building an unseen kingdom is actually helping spiritual forces win an invisible war. Nothing matters. Just have fun. This is the rallying, rally rallying that it makes sense. This is the cry of the dominion of darkness. This is their advertisement. If nothing matters. Just do whatever you want. Like, it doesn't matter. Just burn out. Just throw everything away. Hopelessness leads to meaninglessness. But the Christian worldview is full of hope. We talked about that last week. Death never gets the final word because the whole Christian message is this. You, if we bury you in the ground, you'll be out of that ground eventually back on this planet one day. God hasn't given up on this war-torn planet. He's given us his son. He's invited us to join his rebellion and live with him as our king. To start acting like Jesus is king and to build his kingdom now. Jesus's crucifixion was his coronation. His death and defeat was his victory. He made peace with his blood shed on the cross. That's what it says in verse 20. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross, he's going to reconcile everything on heaven, and on earth. So, you say. so if Jesus dying on the cross brought peace, why is our world still wrecked? Why is it still in ruins? Why do we still see all this warfare if his death was the final victory? If his death ended the war, why do we still see so much spiritual fighting? In World War II, Japanese soldiers continued fighting in the Pacific for three months after Japan surrendered. one lieutenant Hiro Anoda He was in the Philippines. He was stationed there and he had been trained in guerrilla tactics and warfare and uh, when he got there the Allied forces were raiding the islands and um, He gathered two other soldiers and he ordered them into the jungles of the Philippines with him And they went out into the jungles and they said we're going to do guerrilla warfare to fight Uh, the Philippines and the um, Allied forces there. And for 29 years they remained in the jungles. 29 years after the end of the war, they would go and burn farms and fields, they would blow up cars, they would rob things and set fire to things. And so the Allied forces are like, we need to let these Japanese soldiers know the war is over, they don't have to fight anymore. So they flew planes over the jungle and dropped pamphlets in Japanese that said the war is over your country has surrendered fighting has stopped they said this is propaganda we can't believe it and they threw it out so one of the soldiers eventually after a couple wars of this years of this he said these pamphlets have to be true because then they started dropping letters from their own family and the family are like listen son listen um you know brother listen grandson the war is over no one's making us say this there's no reason to keep fighting. And so one of them walked out of the jungle and surrendered. And he said, look, there's two more guys in there, and they're never going to surrender. They're going to keep going. And so they kept burning things and blowing things up. And then one of them was actually killed. But Hero Anoda uh, continued to fight as alone in the jungle. He continued to burn things and set things on fire, fight the police, and refuse to come out of the jungle. Well. In the seventies, there was a Japanese young man who heard about this guy and he said, I want to find him. So he went to the Philippines. He marched through the jungles until he found the guy and he did an interview with him. And he's like, look, I'm from Japan. The war has been over forever. Like this is what Japan looks like today. It's a whole different place. You don't have to fight anymore. And the soldier says, I'm not gonna surrender until my commanding officer tells me the war is over. So he went back to the Japanese government and he's like, this guy's not gonna give up unless we find his commanding officer. So the Japanese military did went through their records and his, this guy's commanding officer had survived the war, he was still alive, and he was now working in a bookstore. So they went to him and they said, hey, we're gonna make you a new uniform, put this uniform on, we're gonna fly you to the Philippines, we're gonna march you to the edge of the jungle, and we need you to order your soldier in the jungles to stand out. He goes out there, um, he calls out to him, the guy comes out of the jungle, he's still in his military uniform, all tattered, he still has his sword and his gun, and uh, he finally surrenders. And uh, we've got a picture of him walking out of the jungle here, he's in front. After 29 years of fighting a war that was over, there were people whose crops were burned, and vehicles were destroyed, and stuff was stolen, because he was still fighting a war that didn't matter anymore. There are dark forces that are desperate and delusional despite being defeated who are still at work in this world. Jesus on the cross ended the war, but the fighting continues until he finally reigns as king. So, at the beginning, I said there's three questions that everyone is asking. How does the Christian worldview answer these questions? How does it provide a lens to answer these questions? Where did I come from? Verse 16 says we were created by, or we were created by the Son. We come from God, a Trinitarian community of love. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit created us, not because they were like, Man, we need some servants. We need some people who do stuff for us. No, they said we have such a loving relationship. It's too good to keep to ourselves. Let's create other beings to share in our goodness. Why am I here? Verse 16 also says. You were not only created by the son you were created for the son now this isn't an idea we were created to be like hey you better do this for me but rather you were created to have a relationship with the son to know him and to live in community with him and finally where am i going verse 20 says to be with the son through him he's going to reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or things on heaven essentially reconcile sounds so formal it sounds so like an accounting term but essentially what it's saying is god is going to draw people far away from him close to him where are you going close to god and some people are really going to love being close to god and for some people it's going to be horrible because they've spent their whole life running away from him you were created out of a self-giving community of love created for a god who wants to know you and be known by you who wants to share his goodness with you and his love we exist to know and enjoy god forever the westminster catechism which was a a statement of faith for churches that just said this is what we believe this is what we're about this is what it means to be christian it defines the role of humankind like this know god and enjoy him forever I think sometimes in churches we talk a lot about knowing god and learning about god but we don't often talk about enjoying him that's what we exist for to know god and enjoy him not just know about him but to actually enjoy him we're students of the way jesus lived and loved but we don't work for his love we work from his love we were created out of love we study and model his behavior because we want to know him and be like him, and we want to enjoy him. The promise of the Christian worldview is the marriage of heaven and earth, God and mankind living and working together for eternity. This is where you are from, this is why you are here, and this is where you are going. I think that the Christian worldview provides the most compelling answers to these questions against any religion, against any belief system, against any theory on the planet. So, as we come to the end, what lenses are you wearing? What are the lenses through which you look at the world? Might I suggest that the Christian worldview is the best worldview at giving you good answers to the contradictions we see in ourselves, in our community, in our city, and in our world. Don't stop praying, that's the second thing. Because there are spiritual beings fighting a hard battle to see God's good carried out in your life. We don't always know. We're like, God, I I prayed and where are you? And we don't always see all the spiritual conflict that surrounds our prayer because we don't know it. But by saying words and God acting on behalf of our request, we're upending spiritual foundations and strongholds. And things are breaking in an unseen world all around us. Finally, stop building darkness. Stop building the kingdom. I forget sometimes how powerful words are, how powerful actions are, how powerful thoughts are, and how so many times I'm building into the dominion of darkness rather than building the kingdom of God. And sometimes that can seem overwhelming. But the good news is, at any time, we can repent. Repent just means change direction and say, Hey, I've been building this building. I should be building this building i've been saying this but i should be saying this i've been doing this but i should be doing this i'm thinking this but i need to be thinking this get back to building what matters god has strategically placed you and me here in this world and in this place to build his kingdom now let's pray lord jesus thank you for Your word thank you that you came into this world to reveal yourself to us that we have the great privilege of knowing you And thinking and living and acting like you. Thank you for giving us your view of the world. Forgive us for so often settling for a weak worldview that doesn't really give us the satisfying answers that we want to the world's deepest problems. Show us how sufficient your view of the world is to answer the deepest longings and questions